as the hymn we just sang states in the second verse, though the eyes of sinful man cannot see, though the darkness hides thee, it is imperative as a church that we understand and we grasp the reality that Satan's number one desire is to keep us away from God. And so he literally moves. First of all, this makes come as a surprise for some. Satan is real. Satan is a live being. He is an archangel that fell and disobeyed God um, and now leads a selection of angels that also rebelled and failed their task, their duty, their responsibility, and now stand in condemnation for all eternity, but have been given reign over earth in this period of time. That's a complicated way to say. He hated God in the beginning, and he hates God today, and so he does everything he can out of darkness to hide the glory of God, to keep us isolated and blinded to the beauty of God's love and the glory of God's work and transformation in our lives. And it becomes our responsibility as a church then to reveal that glory, to help those who are blinded be able to see, to help those who have been hidden in darkness be able to understand the beauty and the glory and the holiness, the love and the mercy and the grace of God who changes lives, who brings us out of that darkness and places us in lives and and in hope and in light. And that transformation is the single most strategic power move available. It repositions us in a strategic advantage over and against Satan so that we can live his life not under his influence, but separate from it and not guided or led or trapped or in bondage to him. But that transformation, that that power move that gives us that position of strength has requirements for us things that we need to put into consideration. And as we move into this series, as we prepare to finish the book of Ephesians, this, the rest of the summer into early fall, as we look at that, we're going to see power moves. We're going to see what it is to face the challenge of moving out of our comfort zone and finding significant purpose in Christ. And it begins with the transformation that we've witnessed today, that we've watched in these who have been baptized and that we've experienced as we sang and as we worship, and that probably it's likely God's even touching and moving in our hearts and calling us to, either to make that decision for the first time and say, yes, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to move out of darkness into light, and I can do that by the grace of God. Jesus has given us the power to make that move when we trust him. He works that through us. It's our spiritual resurrection. It's our spiritual new life as well as our physical new life and hope for eternity. I'm going to make that move. I'm going to make that shift. I'm going to leave what might be a comfort zone that is in reality simply darkness into a place where I find my purpose, where I find my sense of calling on living the Christian lives. Our young people continue to set an example for us. Not only those who were baptized today, but our student group just got back from camp. Two of our students out of our group made the decision to trust Christ. You're going to participate in baptism with them sometime in the future. Seven of our students made the decision to follow Christ in a vocational They made the decision to follow Christ and do what he wants them to do in terms of ministry. 
I was talking to some of them just before the service, and they said, I don't know what. And I said, well, that's okay. That's what we're here for to help sort through that. I got saved, I got called, and I didn't even know what a pastor was. And, and I've been one for 43 years. And so, um, you know, God can guide and direct into that area specifically. But this is what they said to me. They said, you know, it doesn't matter whether that's my career or it's what I do with my time. I know God called me into leadership. I know God called me to serve him. And that's everything Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 5, and Ephesians chapter 6. And these last two and a half chapters of this book, it's all about God's call on our life and our response to that call, our leaving comfort and finding purpose. And he begins with what the Apostle Paul simply uses a metaphor to describe a strategic changing of what's most visible. He compares it literally to changing our clothes in verse 17. He describes our condition and the necessity for making those changes. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, he says, Therefore, as a conclusion of everything he said about our identity in Christ, which we studied in the first four chapters, Therefore, I say this and testify to the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles. That's a confusing word for some of us. It just simply means heathens, unbelievers. It had ethnic references early on in Scripture and early on at the beginning of, of, of Christ's work in this world. But what it essentially means and applies for us is anybody who doesn't believe, anybody who is an unbeliever and lives with complete disregard for who God is. These, you should no longer walk like those who disbelieve in God. And then he begins to describe them in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, as we just sang. They are excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. It's their decision-making process that leaves them in darkness. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity, with a desire, a hunger, that word literally describes a starvation for more and more. Verse 20, but that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. And now here's the call for us, because I don't think the majority of us either in this room or on live stream right now fall into that category. We, we understand it. We understand the futility. We understand the darkness. We understand being excluded and outside of a relationship with God. We understand having a hard heart. We understand the darkness, but we've made the decision to trust Christ, and we're now living that decision in everything that we do. And that's what he's describing is he talks about we've come to know Christ. We've been taught by him. We've learned by him. We've trusted in him. And we know the truth is in him. So we take our former way of life, that old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of truth. So we become that light. We become that example. We become that likeness of God in his righteousness and in his purity that help lead others into truth. Our changing of spiritual garments, so to speak, using Paul's metaphor, enables us to demonstrate 
to coworkers and to family members and to friends and to, and to schoolmates and, and to people we just randomly come into contact with, that there is something different. And that difference is knowing Jesus. Recently, I was at a restaurant and eating lunch is, is my regular habit every day. And because uh, I love lunch and a uh, dinner, breakfast, snacks, everything in between. Uh, I'm just so, you know, it's not hard for me to say grace. I mean, we had pizza last night. Oh gosh, it was so good. And uh, Carrie said, isn't it time to say grace? And I said, I've been saying it. I've been saying, God, thank you so much for pizza. I mean, this is definitely one of the most holy things you've ever created. It's, it's, a, it's manna. It's, it's manna to me. It doesn't, doesn't say that in the Old Testament, but um, if I had to spend 40 years wandering around, the only thing I want is pizza. It, it's, it's, all, it's all the food groups in, in one meal. I mean, it's just, it's, it's perfect. Are you hungry? You ready to go to lunch? Um, we, we, I don't even know what that had to do with anything. So let's talk about changing clothes again. Let's talk about living that new life and embracing that new life in Christ. It's how people see, oh, that's why I told you that. So we were at a restaurant. I had the opportunity to talk to the waitress and be able to share with her. She was having a horrible day, tough things, good memory. We were able to talk through those things, and we were able to talk through hope, and we were able to pray together. And our staff frequents this location a lot, and so Steve and I have gone there multiple times and have been able to help that person see Christ because we took off the old clothes. We took off the dirt and the soil, and we put on the likeness of the righteousness of Jesus. Now, we're not talking about perfection here, not in any stretch of the imagination. This is not perfection. We're not perfect. I will be perfect in heaven. And so when you join up with me, come and find me, and you'll finally be able to say, look, there's the perfect pastor. Because in heaven, I'll be completely, finally transformed. I am not now, and I never will be, but I continue to recognize when things go wrong, when things go incorrectly, that I can, as the Apostle John said, confess my sins and God will be faithful and just to forgive my sins. And I literally put off that old again and embrace the new because the new, the new garment that demonstrates the likeness of the righteousness of God and the purity of truth is the garment I want to wear. That's how I want to be seen. That's how I want to be understood. That's how I want to function in all of my relationships. And, and especially in this first section of new garment apparel, this first fashion show, so to speak, of the, the new garments of a believer in Christ is all about relationships. And so let's walk through a couple of these real quick. And we're going to do this for the next couple of weeks as well. He talks about having truthful relationships. In verse 25, the new clothing... He's taking off the old, which is putting away lying. The new is to speak the truth, each one to his neighbor in our relationships. That's a quote from the Old Testament, from the prophecy of Zechariah, because we are members of one another. We are in truthful relationships. We can be honest with one another. We, we can share with one another. We can value authenticity, not because it's a cultural factor, not because it's a generational factor, but because it is a Christian factor. And here's why. You're going to find on every single one of these things that it is a part of the likeness of the righteousness of God. Why is it important that Christians be 
trustworthy, that Christians be people of truth. It is because God is faithful, and knowing that God is faithful means we know what he says and what he speaks is truth, and we can trust him. You cannot have a personal relationship with God until you get to the place where you just stop and say, okay, I may not understand everything, it may not all make sense, but I believe Jesus is more than I am. I believe he's God, and I'm going to trust him. The Bible says to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Literally, let him be in control. God is truthful and God is trustworthy. And the clearest example for those whose eyes have been blinded by Satan, for those who live in darkness and cannot see God, the clearest example is for his people to be truthful, to live a trustworthy life, to be controlled, particularly in our emotions, Verse 26, he says, be angry and do not sin. Acknowledges there is some anger and there's some anger that's actually righteous. Again, quoting from the Old Testament, from the book of Psalms. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. The new clothing is controlled emotions. The old clothing, the old way of life, the way of darkness allows us to do whatever we want and to let every emotion go out of control. We are angry oftentimes without consequence, <clears throat> without concern for the consequence. But the new us, the Christian us, the follower of Jesus, we control. If there is a situation that requires righteous indignation, righteous anger, then we pray through that, work through that, and, and, and we deal with that. But the vast majority of the time, we, we are to control that. We are, we are to be living a new life that is cool and calm and calculated. And that new life takes us into that finding purpose. Because when our emotions are out of control, we have a very difficult time doing the things that are necessary and thinking strategically. You can't make power moves emotionally. You have to make power moves strategically, intentionally. That's why we talk about, and we're highlighting it during our capital campaign, let's go. Let's go deeper in our faith. Let's live intentionally on purpose, and let's reach further and, and touch others with the hope that we already know in Christ. We don't have any desire to not share it. We may be afraid at times. We may be awkward at times, but we want people to know and see light in and through us. And that just means we need to control ourselves. We need to learn the discipline. It's not overnight. In some cases, it requires counseling. And we seek out the counseling. We seek out the change. We do the things necessary so that people can see Jesus in us. We have even what I'm calling resource generosity. I love verse 28 because it, it, it seems like such an odd, almost contradiction. Let the thief, this is the darkness, let the thief no longer steal. Most of us can agree on that. Our politicians can't seem to agree on that, but we agree on it. One of the more reasons in this generation we need to stand up, we need to be righteous, we need to be in truthful relationships, and we need to be controlled in our emotions, and we need to be properly and effectively resourced. Let the thief no longer steal. And here's the interesting part. He is to do honest work with his hands. Now, that's not just saying only those things that are mechanical, 
with the endeavor of your life, with the energy of your life, do honest work. Earn the money that you receive. Earn the resource. There is nowhere in Scripture that it teaches you not to be effective and strategic in your labor. It cautions us in the book of Proverbs to not be frivolous in our activities, but to be wise like the ant and to prepare for the future and to work and endeavor. The book of Thessalonians, when they had a bunch of Christians who decided, hey, we, we don't, we don't want to work. We're just going to be spiritual. We're going to sit around and wait for Jesus. And the apostle Paul comes on the scene and says, you have this whole group of your church that's sitting out here on this hill and they're not doing a thing. And you, because they were overly caring, if that's possible, that may be hard to process for a minute, but follow with me. They were so concerned that the church was taking food out to the hill for them. And Paul says, no. Christians work. And they work honestly, like he told the church in Ephesus. And he issues the command to the church in Thessalonica, if you don't work... You don't eat. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, teach it to every child you have under your care. If you don't work, you don't eat. It doesn't mean we're not caring. It doesn't mean we're not benevolent because there are times and circumstances when somebody needs help. But for the most part, we are called. And again, do you want to serve a God who doesn't labor? God's not sitting back on his throne like some recliner at the beach. God is active and moving in this generation, in this moment, and in this time. So there's no reason his church should act like we're a bunch of lounge potatoes. Or I don't even know if that's a real phrase anymore. I don't know if it's ever a real phrase. Work. Work honestly. But here's the part that I find interesting. That, here's the purpose. You leave comfort. You stop stealing you work hard, you can steal a lot of ways other than breaking into somebody's house. Just about everybody in this room probably at some point or another didn't earn the paycheck they got at some point or another for whatever reason. Stop stealing, do honest work because here's the finding purpose part, that he has something to share with anyone in need. We're resourced for the purpose of generosity. God allows us to provide for ourselves and he provides through us in a unique dynamic relationship where our faith guides what's taking place, but he does it so that we're capable of helping others. We're going to do that in the service today. I'll just give you a heads up right now in about five minutes. You're going to see a video about the work that the Gideons International, this is one of our partner ministries. We partner with a, a, a number of ministries locally and internationally. We partner with mission groups. We give away, literally, we give away 12% of everything that comes in to our church. We, we just give it away because Scripture teaches us to be generous and to support the cause of Christ. And at the conclusion of the service, we're going to do an in-service offering. I'm going to have guys, they're going to go to the doors um, that right after that video takes place, and they're going to stand there with open Bibles, and, and you can give whatever you want to, whatever you've got on you. You can give it and place it in that Bible, give to them. We support them annually this way. We do it in a physical fashion so that they know we're behind you, because Gideon's does an amazing job of touching lives all over the world, and lives that oftentimes are so marginalized 
that they would never get scripture or have scripture if it wasn't for Gideon's International doing that work. We're going to give this morning. We worked hard all week. Um, I, think, I think Friday was payday. I don't know. My CFO, better known as my wife, handles that. And so um, I'm not given control over it. I'm still working on controlling things. And so, you know, we're going to give. Think, think about that pro- progression for just a second. Stop stealing. Work honestly so you can give it away. After all, we know from Scripture, I'm not going to go into that in detail today, everything we have is God's anyway, and so he just allows us to manage it or steward it. Stop stealing, work hard, work honestly, and then give it away. It's an amazing change. And it'll make you a light and the light of Christ in every relationship you have because we live in a very selfish world. And darkness loves selfishness. That's why Satan would love to keep all of us just for himself and let us spend eternity separated from God. Affirm one another. Verse 29, no foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail of this. I think you're capable of figuring it out. Just ask yourself, is my conversation giving grace to somebody else? You know, I got to be honest, profanity was a hard thing to tackle early on in my Christian faith, and I've, for the most part, gotten there, but there's so much language that is actually inappropriate because it doesn't give grace to the people that are hearing. Give grace in the words we speak. That's why we're careful about what we joke or what we say or what we talk about or how we do it and what language we use because our language should demonstrate the light. It's our new clothing. We're going to stop on this one. We're going to look at it again next week. I'm calling it alignment, alignment spiritually. It's in verse 30. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. The moment you trusted Christ, the moment that Malachi and, and Kindlin and Karis trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit sealed, protected their lives for all eternity. They literally, God's, God signed his signature across their hearts and their lives and said, you're mine. I love you and I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to hold you. It's okay for God to be possessive because he created us and he wants us in relationship with him. It's okay. In that relationship that he so deeply gave to us, it is appropriate for us to live in such a way that we don't hurt him. You know, Scripture uses the analogy of a father, a a, a correct father, a loving father, a father who wants the best for us. And that father is grieved when we live as if we're in darkness. He's grieved by it. He's hurt by it. He's offended by it. Most of us in this room are human enough and spiritual enough. We don't want to hurt people that we love and people who love us. We do sometimes, and we acknowledge that as sin, and we confess it, and God is faithful to forgive us, and he continues to help us learn how to live and the kind of life we should live, the way we should live. But we have the potential in our behavior 
to hurt him, to inflict harm. And all I'm saying today is, let's just stop doing that. If he loves us so much, then don't look at something like this and say, oh, these are all these rules, these are all these things I can't do, these are all these things I'm supposed to do, and walk out of it and say, I just, I don't know. I want freedom. I want liberty. Ironically, there's only liberty or freedom in Christ and in his truth. He loves us. Let's stop hurting him. Let's stop hurting him individually as, a, as, as individuals who, when we make wrong decisions and we fall out on the wrong side of sin. Let's just stop. Let's stop as a church. I mean, Doran's going to come back up and their team's coming back up and we're going to worship. Doran could validate this because he's just like me. He's been in lots and lots of churches and lots and lots of situations. Sometimes churches just hurt God. When all we're concerned about is ourselves and what we get and what we want, that's not God. If God lived the way many churches live, we'd have never been saved. Why would Jesus inflict himself with so much harm if he was just concerned about himself? He gave up everything so that you and I could have life. So that you and I can make a difference this week. We can have a great week finding purpose, leaving our comfort zones, living with this kind of passion of truth and, and control and generosity and labor and affirming language. It hurts him when we sin. I'm just going to plead today. Let's just stop it. It's okay to be a better person. And it's okay to live in the likeness of the righteousness of God. His grace enables us.